70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, KBS World Radio listeners. I am Kang Jung-hung from Zhejiang, China. First of all, congratulations on the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio. I've been listening to KBS World Radio since 2016. The channel's been with me ever since and offered me a lot of things, including knowledge on Korean society and life in Korea, as well as the latest news. I also learned through KBS World Radio that the Korean people, including the young people, are striving to make their lives better. From their stories, I realized we all have the power within us to make society and our lives better. Lastly, I want to wish all the staff members and hosts health and success. Happy 70th birthday. KBS World Radio. Seventy years with KBS World Radio. Seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's the 23rd of November, Thursday, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. North Korea has said it will no longer abide by the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement. This comes after South Korea partially suspended the deal in response to the North's spy satellite launch. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Last week, the ruling party and the government announced a plan to bring an end to the dog meat industry. We'll delve into the arguments for and against the ban for our in-depth today. And coming up for Explore Korea, we'll be learning about the world of traditional Korean alcohol that can be found at the 2023 Korea Seoul Grand Festival. Let's begin. Korea 24. North Korea on Thursday released the first video footage of its spy satellite launch from Tuesday. With suspenseful music blasting in the background, the state-run Korean Central Television proudly announced the successful launch and showed its leader Kim Jong-un clapping in approval. And North Korea also said on Thursday that it too will not be bound by the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement a day after South Korea partially suspended the deal in response to Pyongyang's launch of the spy satellite. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Kui Jin joins us in the studio now to bring us the latest on the rising tensions on the peninsula as well as the other headlines of the day. Hui Jin, hello. Hello, Jang so on top of everything I mentioned already, the reclusive state also continued to engage in armed provocations, launching a ballistic missile in the late hours of Wednesday. 
But first, what can you tell us about the North's latest announcement? Well, North Korea's defence ministry announced on Thursday that it will no longer be restrained by the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement aimed at diffusing and cross-border tensions. In a statement carried by the state-run Korean Central News Agency, the ministry added it will restore all military measures halted in compliance with the 2018 accord and will place strong forces and advanced military equipment in border areas. The announcement came after South Korea partially suspended the inter-Korean military deal and restored air surveillance and reconnaissance activities from 3 p.m. Wednesday in response to the North's military spy satellite launch conducted on Tuesday. Pyongyang's defense ministry added that South Korea will be held entirely responsible if an irrevocable clash occurs between the two countries, claiming that the launch of the spy satellite was an exercise in sovereignty, as such a measure falls under its right to self-defense. And not to be outdone, South Korea pledged immediate retaliation should North Korea put their words into action. Indeed, uh, following the North's statement, South Korean Defense Minister Shin Won-shik on Thursday vowed to take immediate and powerful retaliatory action should the North choose to engage in provocations. Shin was speaking to lawmakers during a defence committee plenary session. Pyongyang's statement also came several hours after the North launched an unspecified ballistic missile towards the East Sea on Wednesday night. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said on Thursday that the missile was fired from the Sunan area of Pyongyang at 11.05pm Wednesday, adding that the launch appears to have failed. The South Korean State Intelligence Agency believes North Korea's spy satellite launch Tuesday night was a success and that it was due in part to Russia's assistance. Can you tell us more? Yes, the National Intelligence Service presented its assessment in a closed-door session of the Parliamentary Intelligence Committee on Thursday. According to lawmakers uh, in the meeting, the NIS asserted that Russia's assistance uh, contributed to the successful launch of the satellite, although the payload is not believed to be a fully capable submeter resolution satellite. The NIS has reportedly found signs suggesting that Pyongyang provided Moscow with blueprints and other data related to its launch vehicles used in the two previous attempts to which uh, Russia offered feedback. The spy agency fell short, however, of providing definitive proof of Russia's involvement, according to the lawmakers. Meanwhile, the foreign ministers of Group of Seven Nations condemned North Korea's satellite launch in a joint statement on Wednesday. However, China and Russia opted to downplay the North's actions. So, what did they say? Well, the G7 diplomats issued a statement that condemned in the strongest terms the North's launch involving ballistic missile technology as a clear violation of UN Security Council resolutions, adding that it poses a serious threat to peace and stability in the region and beyond. On the other hand, North Korea's traditional allies, China and Russia, both downplayed the launch. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning on Wednesday called for order and restraint in response to North Korea's launch. Russian uh, Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova uh, said separately that North Korea had given advance notice on the launch and dismissed suspicions that Moscow provided any assistance in the endeavour. She also warned South Korea not to retaliate as it would only make the situation worse. Let's turn to the UK now, where South Korean President Yoon sung yeol is on a state visit. And on Wednesday, he met the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak 
and they held a summit at 10 Downing Street as their countries mark 140 years of diplomatic relations amid a changing geopolitical landscape. And with the reverberations of Brexit redefining trade with the world's sixth largest economy, the two leaders sought to pave the way for a stronger partnership while agreeing to stand united against global challenges. So can you outline the results of the summit? Well, President Yun uh, and uh, Prime Minister Sunak signed the Downing Street Accord in London on Wednesday, elevating bilateral relations to a global strategic partnership, seeking to define their ties in the uh, post-Brexit era. The accord outlines the basic principles and direction of the Seoul-London relations, which is marking, as you said, 140 years of ties this year, while reiterating their call for the complete denuclearization of North Korea, Yun and Sunak uh, expressed their uh, opposition to the military cooperation between North Korea and Russia. And what does the Downing Street Accord entail exactly? Well, under the accord, the two sides will launch a new uh, two plus two ministerial dialogue involving the foreign and defence ministers and their navies will work together to curb uh, smuggling and enforce UN sanctions against North Korea. Seoul and London will also officially launch negotiations to upgrade the current free trade agreement to reflect changes that came after Britain left the EU this summer. Uh, comes during Yun's state visit to the country on an invitation by King Charles III, the first such visit by a foreign leader since the king's coronation in May. After wrapping up his four-day trip to Britain, uh, the South Korean president will switch his focus to supporting Busan's bid to host the 2030 World Expo, and uh, he visits France until the end of this week. Uh, Yun will make a final pitch ahead of the vote on the host city by the governing Bureau International des Expositions next Tuesday. Moving on now to news from home. The Seoul High Court on Thursday overturned a lower court's dismissal of the appeal for damages filed by 15 survivors of Japan's forced sexual slavery and their families, including Yongsu and the descendants of the late Kwakyenam uh, and Kimboktong. Can you elaborate? Well, 21 victims of Japan's forced sexual slavery and their bereaved families filed a lawsuit against the Japanese government in December 2016, seeking a compensation of 200 million won per victim. However, in April 2021, as you may remember, the Seoul Central District Court dismissed the lawsuit on the principle of state immunity, stipulating that for, uh, sovereign nations are beyond the jurisdiction of other countries countries. The uh, ruling uh, by the Seoul High Court found that state immunity cannot be applied to Japan's illegal acts and ruled in favour this time for the victims. Meanwhile, turning to political matters, the main opposition Democratic Party is continuing its push to pass the impeachment bill for Korea Communications Commission Chairman Lee dong and two prosecutors. So what's the latest here? Well, DP floor leader Kong Ik-pyo said on Thursday that all conditions for the passage of the bills in the National Assembly have been met and they will likely be processed at the next plenary session. In addition to E, the main opposition is seeking to remove two prosecutors, Sun Jun-sung and Lee Jong-sup, by filing impeachment bills on November 30th and passing them on December 1st in order to comply with the 72-hour rule on 
reported impeachment bills. The prosecutors are facing allegations surrounding investigations into suspected stock price man- uh, manipulation involving First Lady Kim Goni and the, uh, the Dejangdong Five Billion Club. The DP expressed a willingness to hold the plenary session alone if the People Power Party boycotts the sessions. In other news, a robbing of a monument erected to commemorate the achievements of King Gwangetto the Great during the Goguryeo dynasty has been found in France. Can you tell us more? Well, according to Professor Park Deje at Korea University's Department of Korean History on Thursday, the newly discovered rubbing will be introduced at a conference held at Collège de uh, France on Friday. The uh, monument of King Kwangito the Great was erected around the year 414 in Qian, Jilin province in China and is considered the largest monument in East Asia with a total of 1,775 characters engraved on four sides. Its construction is credited to his son, King Changsu, who is believed to have commissioned the 6.39-metre monument as he built his father's tomb. Approximately 100 types of rubbings of King Kwangito the Great have survived to this day. That's where we'll wrap up our news briefing for today. Hijin, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. The controversial culture of consuming dog meat in South Korea may soon be consigned to history after the People Power Party recently unveiled a plan with the government to end the practice. A special law is being pursued by the end of the year to shut the industry down. The PPP lawmaker Yui Dong, who chairs the Parliamentary Policy Committee, said the special law will fully prohibit the breeding, slaughter and distribution of dogs for human consumption. But some critics argue that the proposed bill infringes upon a person's right to choose their food and that dog meat, despite the cruel and other uncomfortable aspects of it, is still a Korean food tradition, just like controversial French delicacies of ortolan, foie gras or Chinese shark's fin. To discuss this issue, we are joined by two legal experts and political commentators. First, we have law professor Song Seryeon from Kyung University. Professor Song, hello. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. And we also have joining us on the line law professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hongik University as well. Professor Cho, hello to you too. Hello. Can we start by getting your overall position on this bill and this controversial subject? Professor Song, can we start with you? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, let me just start by saying that I, I love puppies, and the dog meat is not my idea of delicacy. Um, but personal feelings about those lovely creatures aside, I think this is something that ultimately a society should decide based on debates and process of uh, dis- determining what the public sentiment is, uh, taking into account tradition, right to choose, industry, and job, you know, and other uh, personal freedom. But I, I think it comes down to a personal choice, not something that the society should impose. Unless there are a public safety, uh, health, or other reasons, uh, criminalizing something that has been in the realm of uh, tradition for thousands of years, 
I, I think it's too much regulation already. Uh, the market forces at work. Uh, there are less and less people uh, that, in, uh, that uh, uh, eat dog meat and the industry has been uh, shrinking. And we can use, uh, if we have to uh, bring in uh, 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 regulations and illegal means, there are zoning laws, uh, there are, are, are permits that make it uh, a little bit tougher to do business. But uh, again, criminalizing uh, the behavior is, a, a, I think, is too much, uh, not only because, because of the, the, the personal uh, freedom issues, but uh, in terms of what we do uh, when we decide as a society what is a pre preferable or not. Okay, and Professor Chaw, what is your overall position on this bill? I think for the very same reason, it's right to ban dog meat consumption uh, through legislation. There has been sufficient debate, and I believe that the society has actually moved uh, toward banning dog meat consumption rather than accepting it. And in fact, uh, I saw the research that your team had done regarding the number of dog meat restaurants that still exist. And based on that, I think it's actually absolutely right that we do make an outright ban and do it legislation. Now we can argue about food traditions and cultural customs but you know treating women as less than men and treating children as not quite human beings was a cultural tradition for many years uh, but we don't respect that and it's not like in the past when dog meat was an important source of animal protein. We have so many other choices and here we are weighing up two different rights, uh, not, not just right to choose uh, an individual preferences and freedoms, but also uh, right for animals, particularly animals that have consciousness, animals that we uh, treat almost as family members, many of us, uh, and, and essentially turning your you know, family member into dinner. I don't think that's right. And I think that actually diminishes our own humanity. And based on that, that reason, I think it's right that we ban uh, dog meat consumption. Right. Just to paint the picture of uh, where the industry, uh, the size of the industry in Korea at the moment, according to government statistics, there are currently one around 1,150 dog farms, 34 slaughterhouses, 219 distribution companies, and 1,600 restaurants offering dog meat. Uh, Professor Song, you mentioned earlier that uh, there needs to be public debate uh, and public sentiment needs to be gauged, but the government's plan to uh, pass this uh, bill... Uh, it's an idea that has bipartisan support. The main opposition Democratic Party have added a dog meat consumption ban plan to its party platform recently as well. So both sides of the political aisle uh, seem to uh, want to push this through. Uh, hasn't public sentiment and debate been met, Nan? Well, I think that the public debates at this point um, has been... A little bit uh, on the 
the ulterior motive side uh, for a number of reasons. One is uh, the the general election is coming up, so uh, there there is a, 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 a in the part of the political sector to make it a a populist choice. So that's I, I think the part of it. Um, go, going back to the the regulators, so certainly I, I don't want to make this a, a akin to a human rights issue. I'm not. Uh, certainly arguing that just because for thousands of years there has been a slavery, so it should be respected as a, a societal institution. No, uh, certainly not. Uh, but um, this industry uh, has been, again, uh, shrinking. And those people who are working on uh, this industry is over generally over 60 years old so it's in the the going out stage and if that's the choice if that's the case the public debates already have produced uh the, the direction that the society should be going uh shrinking and not making it a, a, a important part of our our life uh certainly i i don't think because because of the reason that the it is enough and not use a draconian method of criminalizing something uh, that uh, should be the, the societal uh, action. Professor Chaw, what do you make of the fact that this is an industry that many are saying is dying anyway, uh, and that uh, that is the way the industry is going, and therefore to criminalise dog meat consumption is perhaps excessive, that it's a excessive regulation, that you shouldn't be, uh, be made a criminal for consuming dog meat, a tradition that has uh, been part of Korean culture for a long time. Uh, what do you make of uh, that argument? So we've just dealt with the traditional tradition argument. The debate about banning dog meat and the, uh, the argument that, it, well, it's a dying industry anyway, so it will fade out, has been ongoing for nearly 40 years. But the fact that we have more than a 1,000 farms still existing, 34 slaughterhouses, and more than 1,600 restaurants still operating shows me that it's a industry still in in a robust condition. Uh, and plus, if this is a populistic measure ahead of the general election next year, that actually tells you where the, the majority of the population is. I mean, if it wasn't a populistic measure, then most people would be against it, and therefore there would be much more opposition to it. But this is saying to me that, well, most of this society is actually for banning dog meat consumption, and also the fact that, well, the, the people who are operating in this industry are over 60, and so should we wait until they all die out? <laughs> I mean, that's, to me, that's actually a more ludicrous uh, assumption. We should actually be finding them alternative means uh, of, uh, of, of um, livelihood uh, and coming up with other um, you know, alternatives. Uh, that's no defense against not banning what is the right thing to do well i don't think we're debating if i can just interject um about whether the eating dog is a right thing to do or not i think the society is already determined uh that it is not preferable but uh i think there are polls 
that whether they uh, prefer as a public uh, a means of criminalizing uh, this behavior, uh, more than majority says, no, I, I think it's uh, the, the too much uh, regulation. So uh, we cannot just equate those. And uh, plus, if dogs are, are banned in terms of uh, treating them in, in this industry, then what about other uh, animals, mm. cats? And uh, there are those people who uh, uh, think that python, uh, is a lovely creature that they uh, can't uh, live without. So uh, there's, I, I think that the, the animal rights issue is a little bit of a misnomer. What we humans think uh, at this uh, point in time, uh, think is, you know, uh, appealing to their senses. It, it just leaves out right. the, what, the, what there should be the the uh, the principles mm. uh, and the equal treatment, so to speak. Right. So, Professor Cho, on that argument, how are dogs different, perhaps, from um, other animals that we consume? And there are also other controversial food traditions around the world. I mentioned uh, the otolan, the uh, songbird species. Uh, Perhaps that is um, uh, more clear-cut because it's illegal to eat due largely to the fact that the songbird species is facing extinction. But foie gras is still legal in many parts of the world despite the cruelty of the dish, which is, uh, which is defined as the liver of a duck or goose fattened by force feeding. Horse meat is consumed in many parts of the world, although the tradition is frowned upon in other countries. How do we uh, differentiate between all that? Is the colouring tradition of uh, dog meat any different from the dishes that we mentioned? I think there, I mean, obviously there are lots and lots of very controversial uh, food consumption choices around the world. All the examples that you have mentioned, uh, plus things like bird's nest uh, soup uh, made of those little, um, I think, swiftlets. There are, you know, saliva uh, that, that actually, uh, you know, um, is constituted in, in making that sort of like the, the nest and it's gathered uh, from nesting birds and it's considered a delicacy. I mean, there are people who also consume like deer horns, beer, bear, gallbladders, tiger penises, things like, you know, caviar, which is obviously uh, considered a luxury food, but it's a um, it, it, it's a tre- tremendously controversial food item, civet coffee, even things like cow's milk and eggs. And certainly I, I, I take on the, uh, the argument that, well, why should we treat dogs differently? But I would say that we should treat dogs differently because they are different, because we, we accord them special status. We give them a special place as man's best friend, uh, to use that somewhat outdated expression, but you know, we do treat them as family members. Uh, more than one out of three households in Korea actually uh, own or have uh, dogs or cats as companion animals. And to essentially say that, well, the animal that I have as a companion is actually different to the animals that are raised on this farm uh, to be consumed, you know, that's actually, I think, uh, 
in a way, dehumanizing ourselves and degrading our own humanity. And so it's on that basis that I believe uh, dog meat consumption should be banned. And also, the, you know, they don't have the, the courage to properly regulate the industry. Even right now, hmm. raising a dog on a dog farm is allowed, but actually treating it as proper meat and um, subjecting it to the agricultural um, you know, uh, hygiene management law, that's actually not happening. And so if uh, they, they want to you know, let dog meat consumption go on, then they should actually regulate the industry properly. Uh, otherwise, they're simply trying to sweep this under the carpet or they have been for a very long time uh, and simply turning a blind eye to it and letting this heinous practice of uh, abusing uh, the animal and killing it in the most inhumane way possible uh, and simply letting it go on. And so I am really glad that there is finally bipartisan support for this bill uh, that will actually ban the practice and ensure that uh, this uh, does not go on. There's been one other issue that's been raised by this uh, bill as well, and that's the uh, livelihoods that it will affect because it is uh, a significant industry, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, The plan, although it incorporates a three-year grace period, uh, it will mean that restaurants have to close and supply-related businesses will have to close as well. So the government is going to provide support to farms, uh, slaughterhouses, distributors and restaurants uh, facing closure as well. Uh, Professor Song, how much of a concern is this? Do you think the government has the right to terminate business practices of thousands of restaurants and other related businesses like this? Well, it is a concern, but uh, for just focusing on the economic issues uh, for those who have been uh, uh, regarding this as job, I, I think it just oversimplifies the issue. I, I think there's a principles involved and uh, also uh, something that uh, what, we, uh, what we use uh, as a regulation to uh, curb the behavior, uh, I, I think there's a more fundamental uh, argument to it. Um, I, I think I think that the going going back to uh, what we've been uh, discussing uh, uh, before, I, I think that uh, uh, this the regulation uh, should be used uh, in in other areas in the related issue. For example, we can use the zoning uh, laws and the permits to uh, make it a kind of a uh, a tougher industry for safety reasons and, and the, I mean, public health reasons. So we cannot eliminate uh, the, the uh, animal cruelty, so, which applies not only dogs, uh, and, but other animals as well. And also we can, as the industry has been doing, uh, differentiate uh, the dogs that we uh, 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 think of uh, companions uh, but there, mm. there are kinds, and and, and the, the the practices of uh, farming a dog for consumption. I, I think that the distinction, I think, there certainly is there, not legally at this point. Right. But, uh, uh, that should be more, more explicit. Right, Professor Chul, going back to the burden that will impose on these uh, related businesses. 
What do you make of the argument that this is uh, the government pushing through with this bill is poses an unfair burden on those restaurants uh, and related businesses? Uh, does the government have the right to terminate business practices uh, in this way? Well, absolutely. These restaurants had been operating illegally anyway. They actually had no right to be in business. Uh, and they were really uh, only able to exist because of the blind eye that the government had turned toward them. And so what is happening now is that the government is actually going to uh, enforce what should have been happening even under existing uh, legal situation, because those restaurants were actually not allowed under even under the existing laws. Well, obviously, in in practical terms, the livelihood of those people who would lose their jobs or uh, will have to find something else to do is going to, to be a problem. But that's not a problem that is unique to that particular industry, uh, and so they will need to look to some support and help from the government, but that should not stop uh, the government or the legislature from passing the law. Okay, we will see if the National Assembly does indeed uh, pass this law by the end of the year. For today, we'll leave it there. We'll be speaking to Professor Song Seryeon from Gyeonggi University and Professor Cho Yi-kyung from Hong University. Thank you both for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 3.26 points, or 0.13% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,514.96. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 1.37 points, or 0.17%, to close at 815.98. On the foreign exchange, the local currency rose 3-1 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,297.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's our daily segment, Korea Trending. This is where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, Daniel Chair, our staff editor. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Good to be here with you, Chang Ho. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's great to have you with us. Let's get straight into the first story. What do you have for us? Over in the UK on Wednesday, local time during a state banquet in Buckingham Palace to welcome President Yoon Sang-yeol and the First Lady, members of the K-pop girl group Blackpink were named honorary members of the Order of the British Empire, also known as an MBE. King Charles heaped praise on the girls for being able to prioritize vital global environmental issues while working full-time as global superstar musicians. Right, so for our listeners who may not know, MBEs are given out to citizens of countries in the British Commonwealth. So that's why the members here were named honorary members. Yes, but it's also possible that Rosé, one of the members of the group, received the full version of the honour because she has dual citizenship in New Zealand, part of the Commonwealth. Uh, We won't know if that's the case for sure until the honours are announced on January 1st. Through the MBEs, the girl group was recognised for acting as ambassadors for the COP26 summit in Glasgow in 2021, as well as being advocates for the UN Sustainable Development Goals. As K-pop idols, they led by example and helped to spread important environmental messages to millions of young people around the world. 
Yes, this is quite the honour indeed. I understand the king even had some special events prepared for the K-pop group. Yes, indeed. Tourists gathered outside Buckingham Palace to watch the changing of the guard, heard an unexpected medley of K-pop songs, including hit songs by Blackpink, including <laughs> To Do To Do, rather than Marching Toots. Uh, have a listen. That must have been quite a sight for the tourists who were visiting Buckingham Palace that day. Right, quite a twist of uh, uh, rehearsals and schedules for the <laughs> team as well. Uh, also in an event attended by members of the monarchy known for turning heads and grabbing attention with their wardrobe, British media paid extra close attention to the girls' fashion, covering in detail each member's unique style. Yes, their attendance at the state banquet caused quite a stir. It was uh, great to see the group and K-pop get honoured in this way. Congratulations to them and long may they continue to promote environmental causes. Let's continue on now to our second story. What do you have for us? Criticism have come out over South Korean international Hwang Yi-jo's participation in the Tega Warriors World Cup qualifying match against China on Tuesday, despite being under police investigation for alleged illegal filming of a sexual act. Hours before kickoff, police had seized Huang's mobile phone as part of a probe into accusations that he had filmed his ex-girlfriend doing sex without her consent. Yes, this is a scandal that first came to light all the way back in June of this year, but it's made its way back into the headlines following recent developments. Right, so after the match against China, the X account, formerly known as Twitter, of the Korea Football Association was flooded with people criticizing the decision to let a player accused of a sex crime to play and represent the nation. However, when asked about the situation, Klinsman, the manager, Jürgen Klinsman, stuck to his principles that the forward is innocent until proven otherwise. He emphasized that currently the allegations are all speculations. He added that based on his 40 years of experience in the football world, speculations will continue until something is proven for sure. So he doesn't believe anything until then. The manager said Huang is a part of this team and a very important player that he hopes to keep on the field, that he's a fantastic player and scorer. Right, I see. So Klinsman uh, taking a very firm stance on this matter, defending his choice. But what has the KFA on its part said about the controversy? Well, a KFA official said nothing is decided on what type of action will be taken, but the association will wait for the results of the police investigation before making a decision in accordance with the findings. However, there are growing voices from the sporting realm and fans that regardless of the outcome of the investigation, the fact that he stirred controversy with the allegations should be enough to take Huang off the roster. His attorney, however, said the player himself is a victim of an illegal leak of the video in question. Yes, it's an ongoing case, so we can't conclude one way or the other about it. But it has undoubtedly created quite a stir and caused a possible uh, distraction. There won't be... Another international match until the Asian Cup next January. So there is some time before uh, this issue resurfaces whether uh, they should pick him for the team or not. Hopefully the situation will be cleared up by then one way or another. Let's continue on to our final story. What else has been trending today? Intercity bus services have been facing challenges since the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. The number of buses and routes have decreased significantly and there are no signs of positive changes to come. 
It's understandable that travel would have been impacted adversely during the pandemic. Can you give us some figures? How bad has it gotten? So since 2019, the services have been struggling with financial issues, among other things. According to North Chungcheng officials on Wednesday, the number of service routes used by some 16 terminals in the region have dipped to 150, a drastic decline of some 80 routes compared to four years ago. In terms of number of passengers, the monthly average is around 529,000, down by more than 40 percent compared to pre-COVID-19 era. Right, so this must mean that it's causing quite a significant amount of inconvenience for local residents who do use the service. Oftentimes, people in the region that weren't aware of the drastic changes are caught by surprise. Mm. For instance, someone who's waiting for a bus from Cheongju to Andong would find there are only two buses to take them to the destination between 7 in the morning and 5.30 p.m., when there used to be six rides to choose from. First, the problem is that there hasn't been a noticeable increase in the number of passengers over the past four years. Hence, the number of buses and routes were reduced and it remained that way. Also, many bus drivers switched to other professions during the pandemic, mostly related to delivery services. So the number of drivers for North Chungcheng intercity buses has gone down to 290 today from 554 in 2019. At the same time, the response is lukewarm when the companies begin hiring new drivers. Right, so it looks like this issue could become more serious in the future. It looks like it will need to be reviewed by local governments. That's where we're going to wrap it up for today's career trending. Daniel, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. for us now to dive into the cultural, historical and travel highlights that Korea has to offer. It is, of course, our weekly segment, Explore Korea. And for that, as usual, we have one of our special contributors or explorers joining us. This week is the turn of our travel explorer, Hannah Roberts. Hannah, hello. It's great to see you again. It's always good to see you too. (laughs) Okay, so what do you have for us today? So today is one for the adults, actually, uh, as I'm going to be sharing all the exciting details about the 2023 Korea Seoul Grand Festival. Okay, the Korea Seoul Grand Festival. So for our listeners who may not know the Korean, can you tell us what this festival is about? Of course, yeah. Uh, I mean, to you and I, the name of the festival makes it very clear what it's all about. <laughs> sure. And that is Seoul. But yeah, like you said, some people might not know. Uh, Seoul is the Korean word for alcohol. Uh, the Korea Seoul Grand Festival is an annual celebration of Korean traditional alcoholic beverages. It's a, a wonderful event. In, I mean, in my, in my opinion, it's a <laughs> wonderful event that brings together both locals and tourists to experience and enjoy the rich and incredibly diverse world of Korean alcoholic drinks. Yes, it certainly sounds exciting. A chance to discover a world that people may find Hard to find outside of Korea Mm. as well, I imagine. So let's dive in. First, can you tell us about the festival and what we might expect this year? Of course, yeah. This year, it will take place from November 24th to November 26th at Seoul's AT Centre. And uh, if last year's festival is anything to go by, it's going to be a fantastic event. Mm. Uh, The festival will feature various activities and experiences, including traditional brewing demonstrations, tastings of a wide range of sul varieties and opportunities to learn about the history and cultural significance of these drinks. 
business owners might also be interested in attending for research purposes, mm. as attendees will be able to purchase not only the drinks that are on offer, but they will also be able to shop for uh, school-related equipment that they might need for their bars. Right. Uh, there will also be educational opportunities for people to learn about the policies, like the government policies, uh, promoting excellence in traditional Korean liquors. Right, so a wide variety of events for both newcomers and aficionados, yes. <laughs> true aficionados could appreciate then. Are there any specific highlights or unique experiences that attendees can look forward to? Of course there are, yeah. One of the highlights of the Korea Seoul Grand Festival is the opportunity to interact with uh, very skilled artisans and brewers who will be on hand to provide insights into the brewing techniques and the cultural significance of Seoul. Mm. There will also be uh, traditional live music, Uh, Seoul brewers offering cocktails made with traditional Korean liquors, as well as food stalls, possibly my favorite part. (laughs) We we all know I love the food. (laughs) Uh, These food stalls featuring Korean culinary delights that pair perfectly with the drinks, uh, but also have the added bonus of lining your stomach both before, during and after taste testing everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think that's especially important in Korea as well, where half of the drinking culture here is about eating Mm, rather than the drinking. Uh, Sounds great. Uh, What about the types of sul that we might be able to find there? Because when we say sul or Korean alcohol, as you've hinted, it's very diverse, isn't it? It is, yeah. There are actually, I think... uh Throughout history, it's been recorded there have been over the thousands of different types of alcohol mm. that have been created in Korea, uh, including some which uh, could even turn your stomach, <laughs> and some which are very delicious. Of course. But the festival will showcase a very extensive selection of these drinks, uh, including the ones that we all know and love, like soju and makgeolli, as well as the lesser-known varieties, such as uh, yakju, dongdongju, and uh, some of the different fruit wines. Mm. Uh, and even there will even be Korean brewers of gin and other non-Korean alcohol types that have become quite popular in the last few mm. years. Okay. Visitors will have the chance, of course, to sample all of the drinks uh, and learn the different ways in which they're made and even buy a bottle or a few uh, to take <laughs> home with you if you want to. Yes, as you said, uh, many listeners might not be aware, but there is a whole world of Korean alcohol to explore there is, and enjoy. And I think many will be pleasantly surprised, especially <laughs> if they're only familiar with soju or some brands of uh, makgeolli. Mm. There are just amazing uh, souls out there. So this sounds like a great event to learn more about uh, the culture and Korea in general as Definitely, well. Definitely, yeah. Is there anything else uh, we shouldn't miss at the festival? So actually, as well as the festival uh, happening every year, there's also the yearly Korean Seoul Awards. The winners were announced earlier this year. And if you attend the festival, they'll be on display for for you to see. Uh, I think it's right after you go in, there's like a big uh, name board and it shows the bottles of the drinks and it shows the names of the brewers who created them. And all of those brewers will have stalls at the festival. So you can uh, go and visit them. But you can also see introductions of master brewers uh, who have been kind of highlighted, uh, brewers from around the country. They'll also be on that signboard. Mm. And you can visit their stands, uh, taste the winning drinks, and uh, which is something I particularly recommend to <laughs> sur connoisseurs, or like you said, aficionados, uh, both budding and seasoned, I think. 
I also heard that the festival includes a make your own sul experience. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, the make your own sul experience is a hands-on activity where visitors can try their hand at crafting their own sul, probably makgeolli. Uh, it's a unique opportunity to learn about the intricate brewing process from selecting the ingredients to the fermentation of the drink. Uh, participants also get to take home a small batch of what they've made as a souvenir. Yeah, sounds like a great experience and it sounds like it would make quite the unique souvenir Definitely. as well for visitors. I understand that you wanted to give some tips or friendly words of advice for anyone who might want to attend as well? Yeah, of course. I think these probably uh, are quite obvious, but my personal recommendation is to come with an open mind and a mostly full belly. Uh, <laughs> you've got to line your stomach before you go. Sure. Uh, so that you can try as many different sewer varieties as you can. There are far more, like I've mentioned already, far more than you can imagine. And uh, and while you do that, you know, take the time to engage with the artisans and the brewers who are, you know, so incredibly passionate about their craft. Um, I, I, in my opinion, you don't need to worry about knowing the language or not. Food and drink is a universal language and, uh, <laughs> and it speaks to the soul. <laughs> uh, something I think everyone will be able to understand and agree with. Indeed. Uh, I would also add, though, that people should, of course, drink responsibly yes. to ensure that everyone has a good time as well. Definitely. Finally, Hannah, how can people attend the festival? Uh, so attending is quite accessible. The festival takes place in Seoul, uh, specifically at the AT centre just south of Gangnam. It's easily reached by taking the subway on the Bundang line, which is the red line, to Yangjae Citizens Forest stop and taking exit four. Uh, out of that station and that will put you directly in front of the AT centre. Uh, if you've been to the Yangjae Flower Market, which is very famous down there, it's right next door, so easy to find. Mm. Ticketing information is available on the official website, which is www.thesool, which is T-H-E-S-O-O-L dot com. Okay, that's all for our Explore career this week. Hannah, thank you for that recommendation and we'll see you again next time. Take care. See you soon. And that's all for today. Now, tomorrow is the last Friday of the month, which is when we take our regularly scheduled break. So instead of Career 24, we will air a rerun of a past special. Tomorrow, it's our special show celebrating the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio that we first broadcast earlier this year. So do tune in for that if you missed it the first time. Meanwhile, Career 24 will be back on Monday. So we hope you join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.